reading this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. The story of Pentecost. When the day at Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, swoosh, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what, what seemed to be tongues of fire sep that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they, heard th when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who were speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his uh, own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, oh, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. And listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. <laughs> it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, says the Lord, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the God. Good afternoon. I remember the first time that I preached on this passage. I was 19 years old, uh, and I was preaching a lot at that point, uh, sometimes five times a week, 
Um, we were doing uh, youth evangelism. We were working in schools and in churches. And uh, to be honest, half the time we didn't know which way was up. We were so busy. And so we arrived at a small village church one Sunday. And um, I looked at the bulletin. And in the bulletin it said, Mr. Anthony Brown will be preaching our Pentecost sermon. Well, I had no idea that it was Pentecost, but it was clear that it was important to them. And so I have to say, could there ever be a better occasion on which you have to totally rely on the Holy Spirit? Well, apparently it went well. The team said actually it was better than usual. I don't know what that says, but... But what I learned was, when it comes to preaching about the Holy Spirit, always be prepared, but not too prepared. Will you pray with me now? Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Grant it to your servant to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and move in power through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Amen. There is nothing more important in the Christian life than being filled with the Holy Spirit. When you see somebody driving really poorly, what do you think? You know, when you see somebody making turns without signaling, uh, speeding up and slowing down erratically, weaving across their lane, what do you think? I always think, I bet they're on their phone. About 80% of the time I'm right. When you see a Christian unable to resist temptation, blind to their sin and the damage that it's doing to themselves and others, a Christian who is not becoming more like Jesus, not growing in prayer, not reading their Bible, not sharing their faith. When you see a powerless Christian, what do you think? I always think, I bet they're not full of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing more important in the Christian life than being filled with the Holy Spirit. For those of you who come to this church service this afternoon feeling distant from God and struggling in your relationship with him or feeling that your prayers are not being answered or even that you can't pray, there's nothing more important than being filled with the Holy Spirit. For those of you who are wrestling with the challenge of loving your neighbors and sharing your faith with them, who are struggling with what to say or, or having the courage to speak up, there's nothing more important than being filled with the Holy Spirit. And for those of you who are burdened by a family member, a friend or a colleague who doesn't know Jesus, and you want to be used by God in what he's doing in their lives, there's nothing more important than being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I have good news for you this afternoon. The Lord Jesus will give the Holy Spirit to all who ask him. When they asked John the Baptist about Jesus, he said, I baptize with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And just a week before the events of that Pentecost that John read for us, Jesus said almost exactly the same thing to his disciples. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Why is being filled with the Holy Spirit so important? Well, before I attempt to answer that question, let me just take a couple of minutes to clear up a bit of confusion that many Christians seem to have about this subject. It's to do with language. In Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus says, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In verse 8, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. In chapter 2, verse 4, we're told all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then in verses 17, 18, and 33, we're told, I will pour out my Spirit. And finally, in verse 38, Peter says, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So in the first two chapters of Acts alone, there are five different expressions. Baptized with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, filled with the Holy Spirit, I will pour out my Spirit, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Five different expressions, all of which mean exactly the same experience. Now, on most occasions, when most of those terms are used in the New Testament, they are describing an initial experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But, and let me be absolutely clear about this, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not a one-off experience. Obviously, it happens a first time, and that's significant but it happens again and again to the believers that we read about in Acts. For example, all of the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit in the passage that was read for us from Acts chapter 2. But at the beginning of Acts chapter 4, we're told that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit again. And at the end of Acts chapter 4, we read that the disciples in Jerusalem are gathered together to pray and in verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. You see, they were filled again. Similarly, in Acts chapter 9, Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit, and then we are told that he is filled with the Spirit again in Acts chapter 13. Well, there are more examples of this in Acts chapter 6, 7, and 11, but you get the idea. And Paul makes this clear himself when he writes his letter to the Ephesians. He writes, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the term he uses really literally is, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Go on being filled. It's an ongoing experience, a repeated experience. For the believer. And of course, this has a really significant implication. It means that you can be a Christian and not be full of the Holy Spirit. You see that, of course, in the apostles. 
There they are, worshiping Jesus, following Jesus. They've given their whole lives to Jesus at the beginning of the book of Acts. But they are not yet filled with the Holy Spirit until the events of Pentecost. Similarly, when Paul meets Jesus on the Damascus Road, he is soundly converted. But until Ananias comes and lays hands on him, he has not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, Peter and John come across believers in Samaria upon whom the Holy Spirit has not yet come in Acts chapter 8. So, let's heed the warning. Even those of us who consider ourselves fully devoted followers of Jesus, who may have been following him for a long time, can be going about life without the fullness of his presence in us. We can grieve the Spirit, our sin can cause him to be offended, and we can ignore him entirely and attempt to live the Christian life completely in our own strength. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Why? Why is being filled with the Holy Spirit so important? The Bible gives a host of reasons. We haven't time to look at the, all of them this afternoon. But let me mention just a few. God has purposes for our lives. We don't just accept Christ and get whisked away into heaven. He has good works for us to do that he's prepared in advance for us. He also has purposes for this church and for the church around the world. And it is the Holy Spirit who counsels us and directs all of this. Why is being filled with the Holy Spirit so important? Because he reveals God's purposes for our lives to us. And he invites us into God's purposes in the world. The Holy Spirit also gives us the power to do the things God wants. Things which we don't have the power to do in our own strength, such as resist sin or witness to Jesus. The Holy Spirit also equips us for every situation which we face, giving us the peace of God and bringing to our minds the, the right teaching, the right words for that occasion. Why is being filled with the Holy Spirit so important? The Holy Spirit molds our characters to be more and more like Jesus. His presence in us produces fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The character of Jesus. That fruit doesn't simply appear spontaneously in our lives. It is nurtured by the Holy Spirit as he works in us and as we let him do so. And the Holy Spirit also gives us gifts, which when they're used in love under his direction, allow us to make a difference for God in the church and the world. And the Holy Spirit gives us assurance that we are saved. His presence in our lives is the proof of our faith. He's a deposit which reminds us of all that God God has promised us in the future. Now, let me say just a little bit more about that particular um, element. 
because it's easy for us to overlook the significance of this. Not once, but twice in his second letter to the church at Corinth, Paul says that we've been given the Spirit by God as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. In chapter 1, verse 21, for example, he says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. A number of years ago, I met uh, Roberta Hestenes. She was the president of Eastern College, now Eastern University, in St. David's, Pennsylvania. Among other things, uh, Eastern College prepared men and women for church ministry, but you could also take all sorts of other degree programs there. When she first arrived there, Roberta discovered that the college did not have a music department. It had supported one in years gone by, but administrators had chosen to drop the music program uh, during a period of cost-cutting. Well, Roberta had a growing conviction that God wanted a music department in the college, but no one else was really interested. Even when she appointed a committee to research what they would need to have a music department, there was little expectation, and there was no money. But she kept praying about it, and she kept looking to the Lord to provide. About the same time, the college accountant was looking for the deeds to the property. Someone suggested that she look in an old safe that the college no longer used. But another administrator told her that, well, he'd already looked. That would be a waste of time. All that was in that safe was some dusty old envelopes. But since she'd already looked everywhere else, she decided she'd take a look anyway. And when she did, she found, well, dusty old envelopes. One of them was quite thick. She opened it, and inside was a handwritten piece of music that was obviously very old. On the last page, it was signed by the composer, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. It turned out to be a previously unknown, original, handwritten composition by Mozart. And in their time, it sold for a huge amount of money, 1.7 million US dollars at Sotheby's Auction House in London. And the next fall, Eastern College had its music department and quite a few other things as well. Now, somebody must have known that this piece of music had been given to the college once upon a time. It wasn't as if Mozart was ever a nobody. But even such an obvious treasure had been overlooked with the passage of time. And Roberta says that many Christians are like her college. We have this deposit in us of unimaginable value, but we struggle along in our faith, never reaching anything like our potential because we forget the extraordinary gift that God has already given us, his Holy Spirit. We don't ask him to fill us. We don't rely on his strength. There's nothing more important in the Christian life than being filled with the Holy Spirit because he invites us into God's purposes. 
He gives us the power to resist sin and to do good. He equips us for every situation we face in life. He molds our character into the image of Christ. He gives us gifts with which to serve the church and the world. And he is the deposit guaranteeing all that God has for us in the future. The Holy Spirit is the very presence of God living inside of us so that the potential we have becomes limitless. Now, all that I've said so far has primarily been on a personal and individual level. But there are two other reasons why being filled with the Holy Spirit is so important that Acts chapter 2 points to. And these are on a bit of a wider canvas. First, the outpouring of the Spirit that begins at Pentecost marks a whole new era in the history of the world. It is the fulfillment of prophecy. It fulfills the prophecy made by John the Baptist that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Spirit. It fulfills the prophecy of Jesus that his disciples would receive power, comfort, and counsel when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And it fulfills multiple Old Testament prophecies, not least that of Joel, which Peter makes the starting point for his message in this chapter. In verse 16, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, says Peter. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. The age that we live in is characterized by the Holy Spirit. He is literally the spirit of the age. Whatever else anybody else thinks is going on in the world, whatever crises there are, whatever philosophies, whatever political movements, the Bible tells us that this is the age of the Holy Spirit. And as Christians, we are invited to be at the heart of what the living God is doing in this age. More than that, we're invited by Jesus to experience the presence of the Spirit of the age in every part of our lives. Now, you may not feel that you are in any way significant in what's happening in the world, but when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are participating in something which will prove to be of eternal value. Okay, one final reason why being filled with the Holy Spirit is so important. The other thing that the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost signifies, of course, is the birth of the church. Francis Chan tells this little story. Once upon a time, there was a village that had a red tractor. Everyone loved the big red tractor, and they'd cheer for it because it would help them plow the field outside the village. Each day of the plowing season, the people would work together to move the tractor half of the villagers would push from behind, and the other half would pull the tractor from the front. They'd been doing it that way for many generations, 
Some days they moved the tractor 10 feet. Some days they moved it 20. And this they did for three months every year. And because of their hard work, the villagers always managed to plow the field just in time to plant before the rainy season. The rains would come, the sun would come out, the crops would grow, and there'd be just enough food to feed the entire village. One day, farmer Dave was cleaning out his attic, and to his surprise, he found an old book among his great-grandfather's belongings. It was the owner's manual to the big red tractor. And the book explained how the tractor was made and all that it could do. And Farmer Dave studied the book all night, and he was shocked at what he read. According to the book, if the big red tractor was running properly, it could plow the whole field in just one day. And the next morning, Farmer Dave gathered the villagers to tell them the good news. But nobody believed him. There's no way the tractor can move on its own, they said. But this didn't stop Farmer Dave from believing what he read. So every night, while the other villagers were asleep, Farmer Dave spent time repairing the tractor. One night he'd finished, fixed the tractor completely, and he had so much fun driving it that he ended up plowing the whole field in one night. The next morning, the villagers woke up and they were in shock. The whole field had been plowed. It's a miracle, said one. It must have been aliens, said another. Farmer Dave was right. The tractor book is true. The villagers plowed not just one, but many fields that year and harvested way more food than they could ever eat. And they had so much leftover food that they began taking it to other villages where food was scarce. The point of Francis Chan's little parable, by the way, it's available as a children's book, and you can watch a video of it with Francis Chan's little explanation at the end. It's on YouTube. The point is that the parable, the parable is making, rather, is that the big red tractor is a picture of many, many churches. In a lot of churches, a small group of committed people are exhausting themselves pushing and pulling this thing along. So much human effort is being put in, and there is some movement, just enough to keep people fed and to keep the church system going for another year, just enough for survival. But when we look at the book of Acts, we see something completely different. The church is not a human organization relying on our best efforts. It is supernatural, the creation of the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fills ordinary uh, women and men and empowers them to work and live and love together in ways that the world before that time had never seen. With the Holy Spirit set free to work in us and through us as he wills, the church has a movement of its own. And amazing things, amazing fruitfulness can happen. Why is being filled with the Holy Spirit so important? 
Without the Holy Spirit, there is no hope for the church. There is no hope for this church. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, it is the power of God that we need if we're going to get beyond the exhausting works of the flesh and see God at work among us. Okay, we've seen how the Holy Spirit was received by the first believers, but what about us? How do we become filled with the Holy Spirit? Let me finish with this. David Watson, in his wonderful little book, One in the Spirit, says one of the clearest passages on this is Jesus' words at the beginning of Luke chapter 11. As the passage begins, we're told that Jesus is talking with his disciples. And it's important to say that a personal knowledge of Jesus is essential before we can be filled with the Spirit. Are you a Christian? Have you put your whole life in Jesus' hands? Then Jesus goes on to tell that wonderful story about the man who is embarrassed by a hungry visitor who arrives at his door at midnight. The man welcomes his visitor, but then he goes straight round to his neighbors and bangs loudly on the door and says, a friend of mine's arrived on a journey and I've nothing to give him. That is the context for receiving the Holy Spirit. When we are sufficiently aware of our own personal need, when we realize that spiritually we have nothing whatever to offer hungry people around us who are coming to us for help. Then Jesus encourages us with the assurance of the Spirit's power. And then lastly, Jesus anticipates two very common stumbling blocks when it comes to the Holy Spirit. The first is unbelief. This is just not going to happen to me. The Spirit's not going to move in my life. It won't make any difference. So he says, and he underlines it six times, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And then he repeats it all again. For everyone who asks receives, and those who seek find, and to those who knock it will be opened. It will happen. And the second stumbling block is fear. If I open myself up to the Holy Spirit, what will God do? What if nothing happens? Or what if I experience something I don't want? What if Jesus goes on, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Don't be afraid. God will not trick you, deceive you, or hurt you. You have nothing to fear. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you haven't ever been filled with the Spirit, you need to put your faith in Jesus, be willing to obey God in whatever he asks of you, thirst after him, and ask him to fill you. It's as simple as that.
And if you have been filled with the Spirit in the past, you still need to ask God to fill you daily. And you need to learn to keep in step with the Spirit, saying no to sin and yes to the directions he gives you in every one of those 20,000 decisions you make each day. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not a one-off event. It is an experience that we're supposed to live in for the rest of our eternal lives. Will you pray with me? I want to give you a moment now just to talk with the Lord. Have you been filled with the Spirit? When was the last time you remembered that you need to rely on His strength, His counsel, His power, His comfort? Let me encourage you Come before him now and invite the Holy Spirit to fall afresh on you. To fill each of us as we seek to become more like Christ and to do the works of God in the world. And to fall afresh on our church that we might surrender the works of the flesh and instead rely on the Spirit to move us, to make us fruitful. Holy Spirit, in the name and for the sake of the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray fall afresh on us. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.